Hello and welcome to the Health Coach Approach with Emma podcast, episode number 17. My aim here for the podcast and these episodes is to really educate, inspire and uplift you to live a life that you truly love as well as maximizing your well-being and to feel freedom in your body, clear and calm in your mind and happiness in your heart. So my name is Emma and I'm the founder of the Health Coach Approach business. I'm a wellness coach and consultant and I support others in becoming their healthiest and happiest self. I've got some online wellness resources that include guided meditations, mindfulness movement, journaling, daily routine habits, even meditations for kids. And these can be purchased on my website at www.thehealthcoachapproach.com.au. There's also some really good, really comprehensive free wellness resources on there too. So make sure to check them out. I coach one-on-one with clients to help them maximize their well-being and live optimally in a holistic sense. I also work alongside workplaces, gyms, and private organizations running wellness sessions and programs. So head over to my website or send me an email at connect at thehealthcoachapproach.com.au to find out more. Follow me on Instagram at HCA underscore with Emma for the daily dance and guided inspirational content. Join the Generation B Well Facebook group if you're a parent or an educator looking for well-being to support your family and your kids. So on to today's guest, the super intelligent, successful and brilliant Selene Douglas from Selene Douglas Nutrition. We chat about what real food is and how to eat healthily in simple and natural ways. We also discuss the menstrual cycle and periods and all of those wonderful women things. Selene's no bullshit approach is really refreshing and the functional testing she does and her process of getting clients results is very cool and very inspiring. I love the holisticness, if that's a word, uh, that Selene brings as a nutritionist for women. So get ready. This is a beautiful episode with lots to learn. Enjoy. Welcome, Selene, to the HCA podcast. I'm so happy to have her with me today. So how are you going today, Selene? I'm well, thanks, Emma. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to be on your show for the second time, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So we did one before, but good old technology wasn't being very kind to us. And so we've had to do a little repeat, but definitely a good thing because we just get to chat more about what we both love. So I'm looking forward to it. So um, Selene is an amazing nutritionist but she does so much more than just looking at diet she really has a holistic approach so I'm so excited to dive into that and what that really looks like so send just a little like backstory to you like how how did you start this journey and kind of what challenges did you overcome yeah okay so I um I guess I'll go right back to childhood Mm -hmm. because I think it always goes back there and also helps (laughs) to paint the picture about I guess the choices and things that I made so um childhood had quite a healthy upbringing I would say in terms of the um the food side of things my mum was really into organic food and getting everything from the source so she would go to the dairy herself and collect milk if we were drinking milk or whatever it was Mm. she would get it you know from the source in sort of that really whole food form Mm. and that was really all 
off the back of my dad uh, having cancer when I was young and dying. And so she, her sort of reaction to that was to Mm. really make some big changes to what was already, I would say the average healthy diet, uh, Mm. which maybe isn't as healthy as we think it is, but you know, from an outside perspective, it's not like we were eating McDonald's every day or anything like that, but she really Mm. took it to the next extreme and was really all over it with packaged and processed foods, lollies, juice, like all that kind of thing. She was all over that when I was young. Mm. And I think also she took quite a deep dive into, I guess, natural or alternative health. Mm. And so as a kid, if I was ever sick, we didn't go to the GP or the doctor first. We went to a naturopath or a herbalist, or I took homeopathics or something like that. And if really it was necessary. Like I broke my arm as a kid. Of course, we went to the doctor or the hospital or whatever it was. So Mm -hmm. I think I had that foundation as a kid. And then I became a teenager and things often change at that point in time. And I, you know, was making more food decisions on my own without her sort of guidance around that. And I also had a few other changes in my life when I was at that age and was, I wouldn't say all that well um, in terms of mental health. I feel like I was quite down and I also started taking the oral contraceptive pill, which is very, very common. And I think that Mm. had a big impact in some of those mood changes that I was feeling at that age. So I started that at age 16 and took that until age 18 or 19, I think it was. Mm. And I um, had done a big overseas trip as soon as I finished school. So I went overseas for two years. And then um, the entire time I was away, I didn't have a menstrual cycle at all. And I'd ceased taking the oral contraceptive pill. And I kind of just thought, oh, well, like I'm over here living my best life in Europe. I'll just, (laughs) that's future Selene's problem. I'll deal with that another time. (laughs) and then I got home and finally thought like I'd moved to Sydney as well when I got home and I was working full-time and so I had a lot more stability in my life and was kind of at that point where I thought you know it's been two years now it's really time to actually do something about this surely it's not normal that I Mm. don't have a period anymore and I uh, went to the doctor and I got lots of blood tests done. I then got referred to a gynecologist and had um, internal pelvic ultrasounds and all of the things. And basically was told that everything looked really good, normal, and uh, that it was actually quite common for this to happen. And was advised that the best thing for me to do was go back on the oral contraceptive pill and just stay on it until I was ready to have kids. And I was given a script and I just kind of said like, yes, thank you very much and grabbed the script and walked out and obviously didn't fill the script and went home and kind of thought to myself, I remember thinking like, there's got to be another way. And whilst I was sure that the reason I didn't have a period was multifactorial, I did think a big part of it was potentially that I did go on the pill so young, Mm. right? Um, and had never really had a lot of natural cycles on my own. And at the time I met, just randomly met this naturopath and was talking to her about these issues that I was having. And she said, come and see me, bring me a test, etc. So I did that. 
And she had a very different opinion about my quote unquote normal looking tests Mm. and gave me a whole new perspective on that. And then I just found what she did was amazing because she spent an hour or an hour and a half with me in that initial consultation, as opposed to, you know, the 10 or 15 minutes that you might have with a GP. And she went through all different aspects of my health. So she didn't just talk to me about my period that was missing. She then talked to me about my diet, my stress levels, whether I actually liked my life Mm. and how happy I was, um, what things brought me joy, all these different things that she talked to me about. And I remember just feeling, obviously you develop a sense of connection with someone like that because they're actually listening to you and you get a sense that they actually give a shit about you, right? Mm -hmm. And so from that appointment, there were lots of different suggestions made. There were some dietary changes that I went away and made. Um, I also started taking some liquid uh, herbal supplements that she'd made for me. And then a big part of what she also prescribed was around discovering what actually brought me joy in my life as well, because I didn't have a lot of that. I was sort of just, you know, I was having fun, but I didn't really have a lot of um, joy or meaning or anything like that Mm. in my life. And then the other thing I did also was go and have um, acupuncture as well. Mm. And so I worked with her for about six months, I believe it was. And so I continued to see her every month and then we would make tweaks and changes along the way and continue working on my diet. Um, And basically by the end of that process, I think at month three or four, it was that I got my period back. Mm. And that also was just, I was so happy when that happened. (laughs) I was just so stoked. And I guess to come full circle, it, made me realize like why my mum also had so much faith and value in natural health and my life completely transformed over that period of time like it wasn't just getting my period back it was like I made changes to my the way I was training the way I was moving my body I made changes to how I was eating and how I thought about food and then I also in that process was just so obsessed and in love with food and natural health that I was like, I want to help people being able Mm. to do this as well. So I spoke to her about that and she actually was the one who encouraged me to, uh, you know, didn't tell me to do it, but encouraged me, I guess, to quit my job. And then I moved back up North to the Gold Coast and started uni and Mm. completed a, I actually started out initially with naturopathy, but then moved into nutrition and did that four-year degree and then yeah that eventually led into starting my own business and being here now (laughs) amazing (laughs) such an amazing story and there's so much could just dive into on those different things but um why do you think the first one I want to ask is why do you think you were attracted to nutrition in the end like you started with naturopathy Mm. why Um, Well, I grew up with a French mum and in French Mm -hmm. culture, food is a really, really important central part of how we connect with others, how we show love for others uh, and just overall sort of enjoyment of life. Um, Food for French people is 
sort of Mm. a key pillar of society over there. And I can remember as a kid spending hours on a weekend baking with my mum and cooking and helping, you know, prepare food when we had guests coming over and all that kind of thing. So I think it's hard to say really, but I think I was just more drawn to the food aspect than anything Mm. else. And because that is something that we are doing every single day that we're putting in our mouth and we're able to break down and extract nutrient from that, that communicate different things in our body. I think I was just so fascinated by that side of things. And obviously herbs are incredible as well, but I do see, I think in some instances, not always, but they can be used as a replacement for Mm. Uh, pharmaceuticals and I also don't think that's an appropriate way to use them we should be looking at how we can shape what we're already doing in our plain diet and lifestyle that can actually create those big health outcomes yeah yeah I think yeah I think so too that just day-to-day that consistency and just Mm. making it part of your lifestyle like having that healthy lifestyle without having to you know necessarily depend on something else to keep you healthy and healthy and happy so the first thing with um, real food. So you, I know you're big on real food education as well. Um, and there's so much information out there. Mm. How the hell do we know <laughs> what we're meant to be eating? Yeah, it's really hard. I think even, well, I mean, real food for me is first and foremost. And the definition, and this is not my definition, but the definition behind that, I would say is food from the ground, from the tree or from an animal. Yeah. Mm. And Within that, I think then there's the sliding scale of good, better, best, which is something I talk to my clients about because then we also go into food quality, right? Like, are you getting your, which is fine if you are getting your fruit fruit and veggies and things from the supermarket or are you Mm. going to the markets and getting them spray free or are you going to the markets and maybe getting things or prioritizing at least some things organic? Mm. And I would say that that is then a sliding scale of good, better, best. So there's, there's lots of different, I guess, variations in real food. And then even within real food, depending on if you have any pre-existing health challenges or issues with blood sugar, we can sort of dive into the nitty gritty around um, the breakdown of different macronutrients or micronutrients that you might need more or less of. Mm, yeah because it's a big thing with processed um and being a school teacher for such a long time it just Mm. broke my heart seeing kids you know of all ages drinking energy drinks um without having a proper breakfast and you know as a teacher trying to um teach and have them sit still and listen and engage and focus and concentrate you just think we need to be filling them with healthy nourishing foods yeah And I just don't think we know or we realize sometimes how much food does actually affect mood and behavior in kids. Mm. You see all the time, and I get it, like parents are often in in a rush, on the go, and need something quick, right? But even just something like that would seem like a healthy option, right? Like baby food pouches, right? You always see kids with those in their mouth and babies the reality is that those foods were put on the shelves or those pouches are older than the baby is that's consuming them. Like, do you actually think there's any nutritional value, vitality, life in that food once that baby is consuming it? Like, no, 
There's, yeah. there's not possible. Right. So even outside of something that is, I guess, more obviously not going to be good for someone's mood and behavior, something like um, an energy drink for teenagers, even something that parents would be, I guess, feeding their kids thinking that they're a good option. Yeah. Um, mm. Unfortunately, just isn't. And I think as a generalization, we just put way too much trust in the food industry. Yeah, yeah, I think so too, because you look at the star ratings and something might be a five <laughs> star, but what, what does that actually, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and what's more of the, why did it get that? What is that missing? You know, it just says five stars and you just automatically think it's going to be good for you. Yeah, I, yeah, I would not, uh, not trust those star ratings at all. Yeah. They're on foods like Nutrigrain and Milo mm-hmm. and even the messaging around something like Nutrigrain, we're told that, you know, that fuels our Ironmen and our triathletes and things like that. Yeah. And all it is, is processed grains and sugar. Yeah. yeah the sugar. And it's just, yeah, we really got to think about the marketing side of it, of it isn't it? It's just mm. such good marketing and um, yeah, it's a bit tricky. There, um, what was I going to say? Um, oh, in when you were saying about the vitality in food, mm-hmm. when just looking at it from like an Ayurvedic or a Chinese medicine um, and we look at chi, which is energy, and they just say the same as what you were saying, but anything from the ground that's alive, that mm. has that energy, like that's going into our bodies, into our cells. So we think about stuff that's, you know, has a use by date in 10 years time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what kind of uh, vitality does that have in it? Well, even just, can you conceptualize it as a food of, you know, something like, I don't know, wheat bix Like by the time you're getting that and it's in your bowl, you can't conceptualize that anymore as a plant and what that would look mm. like and all of that. I just think that's also a good thing to think about when you're putting things in your mouth. Like what, what is that? <laughs> yeah. What actually is that? Yeah. It's such a, yeah. With lollies and things like that. I know some, they, I don't really eat them. I just don't have that taste for them. I never yes. really have, but what is that? What is that jelly mm. kind of stuff? Um, yeah, but it takes time, doesn't it? So that's why I guess you're yeah. about like that really practical, like lifestyle approach of just making small changes because it can be like really overwhelming to think, oh, oh my, my God, gosh. I need to overhaul my whole life. What do I do? Yeah, for sure. I was just having this conversation actually yesterday with a client who has been working with me for around six months and we were having that conversation of it's a bit like, when you start out the journey, it's like, you've got to climb this huge mountain, right? And at the yeah. start, you're looking up like, holy shit, how mm. am I going to make all of these changes? And even when I, the first appointment with her, like it wasn't big things that we were looking at changing. Like it was quite yeah. small because I really try and drip feed things in with my clients and some, mm. you can do that with quicker than others, depending on how, what their food knowledge is already like. And also their sort of willingness to, to change. Um, but we started out quite slow and even that for her at the start, she remember her saying was like, wow, I have so many different areas of my life that I need to work on. And now she's six months down the track and she's kind of reflecting on that. And Mm. it's incredible. Like then you get that perspective of like, I've climbed the mountain. I've I've actually achieved so much. And even if you're working with someone for six months and you're making 
three changes each appointment or each month, three or four changes. By the time you get to that six month mark, that's like, I'm not going to do the math on that, but that's what, <laughs> six is 24 things or areas of your life, right? That you've improved or up leveled. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's that thing of like, it's better than doing nothing. One yeah. thing is better than doing nothing. And that's what I found um, just with food and just learning more. It was a snowball effect. So mm. once I started going to the um, fruit and veg markets, which like I never had those growing up and when I was at university, I wasn't even thinking about that at all, but being here and being very, um, just having a good routine, going to the markets is such a joyous occasion and looking at the food and looking at what's in season. And from there, it just kind of just snowball into, I can't wait to use these ingredients for, you know, yeah. Monday nights, um, dinner where before it was such a pain to cook. Like I just couldn't be bothered to even think about it, but just going to the markets snowballed onto being excited to cook dinners, being excited to have lunches, being excited to try different things. So you yeah. don't even know where that one little step is going to lead. For next. sure. Mm. Um, with the, I guess, going back to that relationship with food, but mm -hmm. before you were talking about, and I really want to dive into the menstrual cycle mm -hmm. because it's such a big, um, I feel like, women listening, anyone with a womb, you can probably relate or you've had some kind of issue. It hasn't been smooth sailing because as you know, when we're younger, we weren't even taught to really appreciate our menstrual cycle or what it can do for us. But as you were saying, when you finally and eventually got it back, you were so grateful for it. Mm. Um, and now like at the point, so I'm 30 and every time I get my menstrual cycle, it's very regular and I'm very fortunate um, and grateful to have that but I'm so I just feel so connected to myself I feel connected with um, my natural body and the natural cycles of life and it just feels so good and I never had that before and it makes me sad that I didn't have that earlier mm. yeah I think that there's a big education piece lacking in schools and I know that is changing I've seen that there are a few people across Australia mm. who are working to change that which is great but I think also it's important to recognize that that cycle education is not sex education like that they're yeah. two very separate things um and for a lot of people like I don't know about our generation so much but definitely our mums it was almost shameful for them like mm. they might have gotten their period right and their their mum might have just left a box of pads on their bed and not ever spoken to them about it. Like for a lot mm. of women of that generation, that was their experience of getting their menstrual cycle. And as a 13, 14, however old you are, when you get it, that's, yeah. you're like, you're, what? What? Yeah, that's your I don't even experience. know what this is. Can someone please <laughs> tell me about this? And so it's little wonder then that, you know, if symptoms arise or, whatever it's like this thing we don't really know what it is we don't know how to deal with it we don't know how it affects our emotions our moods um how we mm. feel we think we're just meant to feel the same across the month we just don't yeah. really understand and then we're sent to the gp because maybe we have acne appearing or whatever it is and we're immediately put on the oral contraceptive pill like that's sort of what happened i think for a lot of girls mm. our age and our generation mm. um and then I think for our mums, they obviously had no idea how to actually educate us around that because 
They didn't know any they better. Didn't have it. They, they didn't, didn't have it either. Yeah, they mm-hmm. didn't know. I've tried to have conversations with my mom about some of this stuff and obviously she's not menstruating or anything anymore. And she just said like, yeah, I had no idea. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't, not that she was at all, you know, awkward or anything about talking to me about it, but her knowledge was just very limited yeah. around it. She didn't know why she felt things at certain times in her cycle. So how was yeah. she meant to pass that on to me? And mm-hmm. so I think that's really shifted because I think our generation now, even though we didn't have that knowledge as teens, mm. we've now come to an age where we're starting to realize that, okay, maybe the oral contraceptive, maybe it works for some women, but it was probably yeah. not the right option for a lot of us. And I think we have a lot more empowerment now around understanding our cycle, what that means for us, how that makes us feel different across mm. different stages of the month. And that's really exciting because we then, if we choose to have kids or even just for the other younger women in our life, Mm. whether that's our nieces or whatever it is, we're able to actually pass that information onto them when they're of that age that we never had. And I think that will be a really big difference between our generation and then the next one to come. Yeah. Cause it's like that being role models as well, just showing that, um, you know, oh, I'm about to get my period, like I might feel a little bit more tired or snappy or whatever it is, just warning everyone in the family that that's how I might be feeling. So just give me some more space or just having that awareness around it. And then we can kind of change our behaviors and let our partners know, which is really great for them because then they they understand. (laughs) (laughs) They understand a bit more because yeah, exactly. As you were saying with most, um, lots of our generation probably in mine is the exact same story. I was about 15 and I had horrendous, I wouldn't say horrendous acne because it was probably definitely a lot worse around, but to me it felt so terrible and affected was affecting me in so many ways um, with my self-esteem and confidence. Mm. And I was just piling on the makeup at 15 and I didn't want to wear it, but I felt like I had to. And then that just made it worse. And then I was just a cycle. And then I was using all these, really abrasive um things on my skin not natural in the slightest and then just got put on the pill and it's that thing of being how they say to regulate the pill is to regulate your mental oh, cycle I, but that is not even true is it? no i just i mean i'd like to say and i think there's more awareness around it now of course and i would like to say that it's being handled differently but now the fact that I'm sort of on the other side of all of the study and working with clients in clinic, I can tell you that the conversations are not changing for a lot of women in Mm. that when they're going to have those appointments, it's still the same terminology used around this will regulate your menstrual cycle um, or you know, it's often just still being used as a band-aid approach because yeah, unfortunately uh, not a lot of GPs have many other options in their toolkit for yeah. women's health issues. I think that's something you have to think about is like whoever you're going to see as a practitioner or someone to help you with your health, what do they have in their toolkit to offer you? Yeah, what's going to be their answer? Yeah, yeah, like mm. what's actually available for them to be able to offer you. And unfortunately, like for women's health issues, um, it's either the oral contraceptive pill or some other form of birth control, whether it's an IUD or a depot injection or HRT, if you're going through menopause. Mm. 
and not a lot else. And it's a lot of, um, I guess with more well, depends what you want and everyone's going to going to be different, but, um, just that how you kind of had, but that holistic approach of looking at what are your emotions like? What's mm. your mental state like? Um, how do you feel at different times and what's happening in your life? Are you actually stressed? And that was a big, I would say that was probably one of the most, you know, biggest shifts in my life when I saw a naturopath and, you know, I thought I was really healthy. I was on the pill. So I have actually no idea how my actual natural cycle would have been, but I assumed it was all fine. Um, I was really sporty and active. So I thought I was really healthy okay, KO fit, um, eating kind of relatively healthy, but the naturopath just opened up my whole mind just to look at myself at a different mm. way. And was I doing things to nourish myself and what was my relationship like with myself? Um, and that's a whole other conversation than just going to the GP. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And you just think about, I guess that comes back to the same thing of the toolkit, like naturopaths have more in their toolkit to be able yeah. to offer you in that sense. And don't get mm. me wrong. There's some amazing GPs out there hundred um, percent. Yeah. And a lot of them have done further training, right. To be mm. able to offer you those things, uh, but yeah, it's just, unfortunately a lot don't. Yeah. So let's have a look at the menstrual cycle. So, um, so over the, you know, how, um, let's start from the bleed and let's go from there. And so, um, talk us through the menstrual cycle. So a lot of women don't realize that day one is the first day that you bleed. I think that's a great starting point. Mm. A lot of women, yeah, have no idea when I ask like, okay, so how long does your cycle last? They're like, wait, do you mean the bleed or the entire cycle? Yeah. So yeah. day one is the first day that you have a proper bleed. And ideally this bleed lasts anywhere from three to seven days. I really don't like to see it last much longer than five, because if you're bleeding for seven days, you're at risk of iron deficiency and things like that. Mm. So um, five, three to seven days is um, still considered fine though. Um, and that is the beginning of your follicular phase or the first half, they call it, of your menstrual cycle. Mm. Um, while you're bleeding, you generally have, this is your lower hormone phase. So all your hormones are quite low. And this really translates to having lower energy, mm-hmm. feeling quite insular, like you sort of feel more like you want to be alone. You want to stay home. Mm. You don't really want to necessarily socialize or do any high impact exercise. Some women might, and that's fine. Everyone is different, but equally you might feel more like walking or stretching or whatever it is. And so I think mm. if that's the case, listen to that. And then at the end of your cycle, really things sort of start picking up and you're entering the next sort of half of that follicular phase. And that's when our body's really preparing for ovulation. Um, Our estrogen starts to rise and we're starting to feel really good. We're starting to feel more Mm -hmm. social. Um, and then around ovulation, so ovulation window is going to be different depending on the length of our cycle. So ideally mm-hmm. our cycle is lasting 26 to 35 days and is regular. It can be out by one or two days. Like for me, 
a 28 or 29 day cycle or a 28 day, then a 30 day is not an irregular cycle. An irregular mm. cycle is like 25 days, 40 days, yeah, 30 days, yeah. 40 days. Like that's more of a concern. If it's out by a couple of days, your cycle is still regular. Um, mm. And ovulation is going to happen about 14 days before your period arrives. So it's not necessarily bang on in the middle of your cycle. It will be different from woman to woman, but ideally it's um, between it's between 11 and 16 days before your period arrives. If it's any shorter than that, then there's some issues there that we need to look at equally. If it's mm. longer than that, we'd be questioning whether you're actually ovulating. Right. So mm. um, ovulation is really the, the key event of the entire menstrual cycle, it's mm. your report card. And if you're not ovulating, then that's really where we need to start in unpacking what's going on for you hormonally, because yeah. ovulation is a really great sign of optimal health. Mm. And of course, if you're not ovulating, then if you did have fertility on the cards, that wouldn't yeah. be an option for you, right? Mm. So yeah, ovulations where we need to look at and tracking whether that's happening is something that I encourage all my clients to do because again, that comes back to body literacy and understanding what's actually going on with our body. And then around that ovulation time, you're going to feel pretty much your best that you'll feel the entire month. Your you're like, self. yeah, you're like <laughs> got loads of ideas. You're super chirpy. You're more confident. You're loving talking to people. You're loving being social. You're basically, mm. yeah, your best self. And you're going to be, um, you know, wanting to do more intense exercise around that time as well. So mm. if you do like doing more high intensity training, like this is the time to go harder yeah and mm. from there on out so say for example if you did have that 28 day cycle that's really textbook which only a handful mm. of women have your ovulation time will be around day 14 and then after ovulation is when we enter the luteal phase or the second half of the menstrual cycle and in that time is when progesterone should be highest because progesterone mm. is um, produced in the second half of the cycle as a result of ovulation. So if you don't ovulate, yeah. you actually won't make progesterone, which a lot of women don't realize. And progesterone is really like the calming, soothing hormone, keeps our neurotransmitters really stable, stops mm. us from getting really anxious and moody. Uh, and most commonly in clinic, if women are ovulating and they're having PMS, it's due to an imbalance between their estrogen and progesterone ratios where they have quite low progesterone and high estrogen. And that's from a variety of factors, but that's a huge uh, player in PMS and getting um, moodiness, anxiousness, mm. painful tender breasts, heavy periods, all those things that we see yeah. associated with common hormone imbalances. And pretty much from ovulation um, for about a week or so, you're still going to feel quite good. Those effects will last. And then around the week or so before you get your menstrual cycle is basically when things start to slow down yeah. and you have 
a little less tolerance for dealing with people. You don't feel as inclined to engage in social activities. You feel more like staying home. You don't feel like you have as much energy for intense exercise. And again, you're starting to feel a bit more insular and wanting to slow down. And I think also a lot of our issues, not necessarily the only factor in hormone imbalances, but some of it comes from ignoring that natural cycle and just wanting to be and perform the same in all areas of your life throughout the entire Mm. month. We are not designed to do that. Mm. And I myself find it really frustrating sometimes because I'm like, I feel amazing when it's ovulation time. Why can't I just feel like that throughout the entire month? And Mm -hmm. so we do things like drink more caffeine than we would normally, um, all these things to try and sort of push past that barrier Mm -hmm. of what we naturally feel like. And that as well just creates more tension and pain and PMS and things like that balance balance Mm -hmm. in our cycle. Uh, So I think that's harder to change because we've not been trained to recognize that and also Mm. to sort of align our lives with that and it's it is it can be difficult to do that as well in some senses because we you know it's not like you can just call your boss and say sorry I'm in my luteal phase at the moment I'm gonna be working from home today don't call me no meetings thank you bye um well, I hope one day that we yeah. get to that stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Um, but there's lots of other small practices that you can do, right? Mm. But I think, yeah, for a lot of us, we don't recognize that. We're not taught that. Or maybe, yeah, maybe we just have no idea that that's even the thing. We're just wondering, like, yeah. why do I feel shit today, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense when you start to delve into it. And it makes you um, have a better relationship, like a more kind more yes. relationship with yourself. Even though I feel I still get those, like, frustrations when I slide out of that superwoman phase into um down into I like to think of them in the seasons it just makes so much sense to me when I slide into autumn which is the luteal phase I go oh my god I can't do what I was just doing and I had Mm -hmm. all these plans but because I know that I've slid into it and just with so much practice and awareness um I just pull back even though it is hard because your mind your mind wants you to keep going because society you know, we're expected to keep going at that pace. Um, and then even with things like, um, you know, at the gym, you know, it's not made in a cycle or it's not made in a mm. month. Like we do the same thing every week, um, which isn't supportive for women. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, there's, I think the onus is really on us at the moment to make those yeah. shifts in our lifestyle to accommodate that. Mm. Um and it is just a constant practice, right? I even find myself still sometimes like, damn it. I- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah you I, know? I keep it. Um, I just track it in my like yeah. journal, in my diary and in my phone. And when I like, if I have an awareness of some like kind of strong emotion, uh, whether I'm feeling like really, really good or I'm starting to feel really, really snappy and short. Um, or as you said before, but intolerant, like my bullshit radar just goes so high. Usually I'm quite easy going, go with the flow. But in that autumn phase, it's like, this is what I want. Mm. <laughs> and this is what I'm going to do, um, which is such a refreshing when you can kind of step into that. It actually feels so good. And you can really start to make some changes in your life. Like, especially if 
I'm sure with your clients, if there's a um, diet change that they want to make um, and it comes up in that luteal phase, like it just is a very powerful place to make changes and really stick up for yourself. So there's so mm. much more power than power in our menstrual cycle that um, once you start tapping into it and having yeah. that awareness, um, your whole life can just change in so many ways. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, I think you become a lot more, I guess, self-compassionate. And that doesn't mean, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean, you know, making excuses for why you don't want to do something or whatever yeah. it is, but literally just having that understanding of yourself and knowing what's going on in your body instead of hating your menstrual cycle each month yeah. actually yeah. understanding what's going on the changes and an appreciation as well for your body because it's incredible what it's doing and mm. that every month we shed that lining and have a period is just the coolest thing ever i think yeah <laughs> and that we can create life i know in our womb, in our womb. Yeah. we can just create a whole life um yeah, yeah, all just, praise the women. You're only here because of us. <laughs> it's so, it's just mind-blowing um, that can happen. And that just comes back to our body feeling safe enough mm. to be able to conceive. Um, mm-hmm. So we're not stressed out and like we're overtraining. Because, you know, I think my um, own, how I set out my um, exercise and, you know, fitness and all of that has changed so much and it can continuously evolves the more I kind of tune in um, and just those different practices and yeah you know before where I was like why can't I lift as much as I can usually or why don't I feel as an energetic like you just know that it's in your body it's biological it's yeah. literally your hormones ebbing and flowing and it's just such a yeah we can have so much more compassion for ourselves and for each other some more understanding mm. for ourselves. and I find with um now running my own kind of day and schedule with business it's changed so much even just with the workload um as well just looking after stress levels and things like that yeah 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 it's good to have that autonomy across your day I think that's something I I do need to get better at because I like to think I'm in the superwoman phase all the time. <laughs> we all do because it feels so great <laughs> but there's so much magic in each my my actual favorite um if I had to choose I mean they're all great but my favorite um season is actually menstruation because I just oh, think yeah. it's such a nice time because we can retreat we can go well I've got I'm pressing pause for a moment. Yeah. Um, I know it's super hard to do in our day when, you know, if you have family commitments, all those kind of things, just we can't shut ourselves away. But mm. even just that mental shift or that internal shift of going, oh, I'm going to retreat for a while is so nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, so we only have a little bit of time left, but with um, your clients, mm-hmm. so you look at their hormones and do you do some kind of testing? So I know that you do blood testing, mm-hmm. don't you? And that reveals a lot. Yeah. So I always, it depends on each client as well, because everyone has different, um, everyone has different goals, different budgets mm-hmm. and um, yeah, different symptoms and things like that. So I always incorporate blood testing because we can largely get that done through your GP and put through Medicare. Mm. So there's no out of pocket expense for the client there. Mm. And a lot of the time, um, it will be things like nutrient deficiencies that are contributing to symptoms. So say for example, 
breast tenderness is a really common premenstrual symptom and the most common cause is iodine deficiency. So oh. that's a really sort of common thing that we can look at in your blood test results. And like we talked about, it there's also a lot of lifestyle factors in there, right? Like I can mm. talk to someone for um, 45 minutes or an hour about what their day looks like and their life across the week. And I might think by the end of that conversation that before we get any testing done, it's pretty clear that the main issues or one of the main contributing issues is just the, the level of stress load that you have in your life. So we might, you know, for that client, they might prefer to see that information on paper, whether that's looking at um, salivary hormone testing and we can look at their cortisol levels because some people are actually mm. more driven by the the hard data I guess on paper um, mm. whereas others are happy for me to just tell them that information right so it's also I think about knowing what how the client works and what they're yeah. um, going to be most motivated by but yeah mm. I always start with um, blood testing and then our other options for hormone testing uh, saliva testing or dried um, urine testing both of which are done at home and they're quite different price points, but um, depending on, as I said, the client, their budget, and also the complexity of the issue, if I feel like it um, isn't such a complex issue, we might just do saliva testing. But if it's something they've been dealing with for a long time, or they've already worked with other people in the past and they've tried a few different things they're at their wits end or it is a more complex issue then i will look at doing the dried urine testing mm. and that just gives us so much information because it tells us not just about the hormones that that person is producing but also how they're meta being metabolized in the body and what metabolic pathways they're going down so say with a hormone like estrogen uh, if that person's expressing symptoms of what we call sort of estrogen dominance or um, mm. issues with their estrogen production, it's not always a matter of them producing too much. And so that, um, if that's the case, it's not going to show up on like a blood test or something like that. It can be an issue with how their liver and guts are actually metabolizing those hormones. And so we want to look at uh, how that hormone is being circulated in the body and what metabolic pathways it's going down. And in using that urine testing, we're actually able to see that information and get that level of detail. So that can be really insightful for people. And also some people will just prefer to go for the highest level of detail test that, that we have available. So mm. that's also an option for people too. Yeah, that's amazing just to give so much feedback about yeah. what's happening, happening yeah. in, your, in your body and how you're processing things. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible to get that. And we get, you know, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, cortisol levels. Um, mm. Because the other thing is, you know, with our hormones, I have this thing that I explain, which is called the hierarchy of hormones, where mm. when someone's coming to see me for cycle problems, maybe they've done a bit of researching and they've, talking they're already at the point where they're using language around estrogen and progesterone and testosterone yeah. and things but the issue is nearly never just with those hormones it's actually something higher up in our hormonal hierarchy whether it's our, mm. our adrenals or our thyroid or 
we're under severe stress, it's actually our brain, our hypothalamus. That's the main issue we need to work on. And so it's sort of, um, it's still a band-aid approach if you're using herbal supplements or something that is just going to work on estrogen and progesterone, right? It's not going to fix the issue. And so sometimes we might not even want to be testing those hormones. We might want to get thyroid testing or um, look at the adrenals or whatever it is. So it's, um, yeah, getting that full sort of picture of what's going on in the body. Yeah, I love that it's such like looking at the root of the problem, like not just the symptom, but why is this happening? And this is just, you know, the external... Um, kind of projection of like yep. the deeper issue like that's I feel like that's so reassuring and what for so long um, just when I had so many digestive issues growing up all th- growing up and especially um, during my university years which I think was through like my diet but mainly stress and I just had no answer and it was so frustrating mm. but just to have the answer and then yeah. to be able to work with that it's just just the best thing you could give someone Yeah, I think, well, the way I explain testing is uh, it's like we're currently at a a place we don't want to be, right? We want to go to a new location. So we're at a point Mm. where we have all of these symptoms and all of this discomfort in our life and we want to get to a new location in our life, which is like, um, you know, where we don't have any symptoms and we're in a state of balance and ease or cycle ease. And Mm. testing helps to provide pieces of the map where we Mm. begin to understand how we can actually effectively and efficiently and easily get from point A to point B and take you to that new location, right? We don't go, Mm. nowadays we're so reliant on Google Maps, we don't go somewhere new without punching that into our GPS and actually getting a picture of how to go there. And symptoms tell a story and they're incredibly important, Mm. but they're just a piece of the information. We need to try and gather more information to be able to get that person from point A to point B um, efficiently and correctly and with the most ease as well, where they're not wasting time and money doing things that are um, not actually going to be effective. Yeah, that waste is so important. I think because you can, there's so many supplements and you think, oh, I have yeah. an iron deficiency. I'll just get some iron supplements, like such a waste. And, you know, that's what I actually did when I was really struggling with, because um, I was always trying to give blood donations, but yes, saying, iron no. deficiency. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just have some iron supplements. And then that was like one of the main causes why I had the worst constipation ever. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, wasted so much time, money, and then I was even more ill. <laughs> so just to give people a clear road, like just yeah. clearing out all the crap so they can just get to that place, as you said, faster and mm. easier. Um, you know, there's always hurdles along the way, but just to really overcome them easier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, so for you, what to finish? Yes. What makes you as simple as you can? What makes you your healthiest self? Um, so I was thinking about this question a lot and I thought I'd come up with a really good answer, but I actually haven't. Um, my healthiest self, I think overall it's trying to get to that state of sort of um, ease and happiness in my life. Mm. And for me, like food and nutrition is a really important aspect, but that's just one piece of the puzzle. Mm. 
I need to move my body every day. And then for me, connection is really important. So that's mostly with my dog and with Jono, my partner. (laughs) And then I feel like I always like to have some feel a sense of contribution in my life Mm -hmm. and ideally in each day, whether that's working with clients or doing something for someone else or helping someone in some way. And that might even be as simple as like helping someone that messages me on Instagram with something, right? Like it can Mm -hmm. be small or big um, pieces. Uh, And then the other aspect, which is something I've focused a lot more on in the last sort of one to two years is my mental and emotional health. And that might Mm. be different day to day. um, And I do different things for that, but I guess they're sort of all the different components, right? Is like the physical Mm. aspect, the mental and emotional, the connection, and then the contribution. I'd say they're the real key areas of more themes in my life. And it might look different day to day, but I Mm. like to try and have them in each day to make it feel like it's been, I feel like if I've got all those aspects, it's a successful day for me. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I feel like it's enough of a structure, but you have so much flexibility in those, which is so nice as well. And, and, you know, makes it easier to do. Um, so if people want to work with you or find out more about you and what you offer, where can they do that? For sure. I'm most active on Instagram and my handle there is Celine Douglas underscore nutrition. Uh, or you can go to my website, which is just selendouglas.com and you'll be able to work out how to get in touch with me over there. <laughs> and then in terms of service offerings, um, if you're unsure where to start, the best thing to do is jump on a 15 minute complimentary call with me so that we can meet each other and have a chat and work out which option is best for you. Cause I do have a couple of online programs and also, um, one-on-one programs as well. So depending on what you're wanting to achieve and the level of support that you need. Um, It's best to chat to me first and we can work out what's best for you together. Oh, amazing. So good. And on Slim's um, Instagram and on her blog, she has lots of good recipes on there. So, (laughs) so many good, delicious things that are so nutritious. So check those out for sure. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Thanks for joining us until next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you connect with Selen if you're interested in finding out more to support your health holistically and meet your nutritional needs to maximize your well-being. And until then, if you got something out of this episode or the podcast in general, make sure that you subscribe, rate and review. I really deeply appreciate your support and your energy. So until next time, stay safe, stay well, and look after yourself and each other. Bye for now.